Good morning. And as we say, this is God's house, and if we are all God's children, then welcome home. We're very lucky today we get to hear a word from our friend Betty, and it's something we're hoping to grow into as a church. You know sometimes we have our youth share a word with us from time to time. Part of the reason we do that is because there's no reason to believe that only the people on staff are the ones gifted enough to do this kind of thing. Lord, help us if that were true. But we, we believe that everyone has a gift and a word that God would love us to use. And so, Betty, we're very grateful for you offering one today. As we prepare our hearts for worship, would you join me in taking just a couple deep breaths? Let us worship the living God. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. God calls us to grow in faithfulness. Let us walk with one another on this journey of faith. God challenges us to serve others in loving ways. Come, let us worship God who delights in our witness. And our opening hymn is number 515. seated. I'd like to welcome you today if you're a visitor or a longtime participant or member. We're so glad that you're here. I invite you to join us for coffee and donut holes after worship today out in the garden 
Um, and if you'd like some more information about the church, or just to let us know that you're here, please sign the guest book, which is at the aisle in the aisle pew. Pass it down to each other and pass it back so you can see each other's names. Now I'd like to invite you to join with me in our community prayer, which is printed in the bulletin. Let us pray together. Loving God, today we have gathered in worship to praise and honor you. May this time together fill us with your spirit, inspire us to lives of witness and service. We know that this is not always easy. Serving you requires sacrifice, but you call us to be faithful and steadfast. Help us make the ends that will bring healing and hope to those who need to hear of your unending love. Amen. Friends, God's, God brings us new life when our bones are dry and hope when we are hopeless. May we open our hearts to welcome that divine spirit and that love that is offered to all of us and that can set us free. Amen. personal matters of prayer with one another. Does anyone have something they would like to share? Congregation. Yes, ma'am, Helen. celebrate rebellious teens here. We do. Thank God for them. Uh, Susan. Well, I would like to say that Congratulations on 50 years of marriage. Out with the joy of years now.
adventure, prayers for Carol's uh, friend, that, friend that passed away recently and for Jerry's brother on the rest. May it be a safe voyage home. Anyone else with a joy or a concern they'd like to share? Well, let's have a few moments of quiet over these moments in prayer. We'll close in a moment. Let us pray. God, we are grateful for the opportunity to be together. I'm grateful for all the things worth celebrating that were brought up here today for marriage, uh, for new employment, for clean records, God, for adventures. God, we pray for comfort and healing for those who suffer, whether it's in their body or in their souls. God, we continue to pray as your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy
I want to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to join me here at the front. And I have some questions for you. If we were going to make something, we, we're going to find a recipe here. What, what should we make? And I'll look it up. What would you like to make? Pizza. Okay. Pizza recipe. All right. Here, let's look together. Okay. This is the recipe right here. It says a ball, a 16-ounce ball of dough, tablespoon olive oil, one cup of pizza sauce, three ounces of thinly sliced mozzarella cheese, five ounces of shredded mozzarella cheese, two and a half ounces of pepperoni, two tablespoons of Parmesan. What is the most important ingredient there, do you think? What would you say? Cheese. Cheese? What would you say, Kristen? Dough. Dough. Yeah. What would you say? Dough, okay, yeah, Thea? No, because you can't You can't make pizza without dough, what would you say? The pepperonis. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. All right, what if we make something else? What else could we make? Ice cream. Ice cream, okay. Ice cream recipe, okay, let's see. I've never made ice cream. Have any of you made ice cream? You have? Oh, that's New York Times. I got to buy a subscription to read that one. Okay. All right. Here we go. This is the best and easiest ice cream you'll ever make. That's what it says right there. Okay. This is the ingredients. One uh, heavy cream, whole milk, sugar, sea salt, vanilla extract, and you could optionally have brownies, cookies, and blondies work great. What do you think is the most important ingredient there? Yes, sir. The sugar, yeah. What would you say, Christian? The sugar, yeah. Anyone else? Anyone disagree with sugar? Yeah. Not sugar. Yeah, not sugar. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Or the cream. Mm -hmm. Or the cream, yeah. It sounds like there's a debate to be had about about who about what is the most important ingredient in ice cream. But here, I have a question. I have another question for you. This here is a picture of your, of your champion, Golden State Warriors. Who would you say is the most important player? Steph Curry. Who would you say? Who would you say? Steph Curry. Steph Curry also? It sounds like we have an agreement on that one. Okay, I have another idea for you. Could you grab, let me see, there's two books in that piece. We're gonna grab, I think we have a Bible. That's our hymnal. Let's see, we should have a Bible in one of these pews. I want you to grab one, okay? There we go, Christian, let's have a look there. Let's open to the table of contest. That's the, there are different kinds of Bibles. Did you know that? Lots of people have written it into English in different ways. So there are 66 books in the Bible. It's not just one book, it's a library of books. What would you say is the most important book? Uh, what would the you say? Books? Oh, the first one. Okay. Anyone else? Everyone else want to take a guess? Uh, about the Jesus. the yeah, ones about Jesus? Yeah. Okay. Well, Every guess what? Book is about Jesus. Today, today, you're not just going to talk about the most important book. You're going to talk about the most important book of the Bible with one of the most important people here in our church. And that is my friend Mia. Mia, could you say, I'm certainly not one of the most important people here. And Mia is so important because she is the smartest 
person I know in high school. She knows the answer to every question. And so she will be able to provide for you the answers that you are looking for about the most important part of the Bible, the most important player on the Warriors. I think you should follow her and ask her. Let's go and go. Go now in peace. This morning's first lesson of reading is Psalm 139. Listen for what God may be saying to you. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know me when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. O oh Lord, you hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse, adversaries misuse your name. Do not, not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense of way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. This is holy wisdom, the holy word. Thanks be to God. Our second reading today is Hebrews 12:1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, 
and run with endurance the race that is set before us. When, um, when Rob asked me to preach, it came out of the blue, obviously. My first response was flattery, and uh, my second was terror. Um, and I told him I'd think about it. Um, what weighed heavily on me was the fear that I couldn't say anything meaningful or important enough to constitute a proper sermon, particularly of the quality that we're used to in this sacred space. So when I subsequently met Rob in person to discuss things further, I, the first thing I asked him was, how do you settle on a topic? And he said, well, um, that he would send me the suggested lectionary for today, and maybe that would spark something. But as we talked further, he said, well, what's your, what's your favorite scripture? And I instantly quoted a verse from Psalms 139, and I'll get to that in a minute. But my decision to stick to Psalm 139 was further solidified when I learned that the suggested I lectionary for today included the passages about Sodom and Gomorrah. So <laughs> I'm going to leave that to the experts. Um, but there's many reasons that this is my favorite psalm. Uh, knowing that it was my favorite and why, I was curious to see if there might be some sermons on the web where, where pastors agreed with me. And I found a sermon from a fellow in the South, of course, Southern Baptist Church, and his lessons and in interpretation of the psalm um, best match my own. For example, in the first six verses, the psalmist writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. When I sit or stand, you know my thoughts from far away, know the words on my tongue, etc. All the words in these verses convey, convey different levels of how God knows us. God knows us better than we can humanly possibly know anybody else. I think it's both comforting and perhaps a little disconcerting at the same time to think that God knows our hearts, our thoughts, our motives, our dreams, and our frustrations. But mostly I think it's comforting to know that even knowing us to the core, which isn't always pretty, God loves us still. And another lesson is that God actively pursues us. Verses 7 through 12. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Even the darkness will not hide me. This sentiment is all over the Bible. I'm reminded of the verse in Romans about nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. I love God's determination to be involved in our lives. He won't let us go. Finally, my absolute favorite verse in this psalm is the one I quoted to Rob. Given my Baptist upbringing, I memorized a lot of scripture over time. We used to have Bible drills. Does anybody remember Bible drills? There you go. Okay. Um, but the absolute one verse that stuck with me after all this time is the last verse in 24. Verse 24, and that's what I want us to dwell on a little bit today. In your pew Bible, verse 24 reads like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, when I quoted the verse to Rob, I later realized that I was quoting from the Bible that I grew up with. It was called the Living Bible, circa 1962. 
Uh, It's a paraphrase of the King James Version. And the verse reads like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything in me that makes you sad. And lead me along the path everlasting. The imagery of that phrase really spoke to me, and it's obviously stayed with me. I think it's by North Star Scripture. Trying to live a life which avoids making God sad or or disappointing God. And the end of the verse, lead me in the way everlasting, that's also taken on a broader meaning for me over time. My Southern Baptist roots uh, interpreted this to mean making sure you did nothing to jeopardize your salvation so you could get into heaven. But I think it's more than that. I think it's, I think it's about staying on the right path, the path that optimizes God's knowledge of me and his pursuit of me, the realization that God wants to be a part of our plans for living, the realization that God wants me to be the best version of myself. And as I reflected on this verse in preparation for today, I started focusing on how does God point out things that make him sad. My interpretation of the how has always been centered around the still small voice theory, the, the, the niggling feeling, the pains of doubt that you think you need to listen to. But what about when I'm not listening, when God can't get through to me? I recently had a very thought-provoking conversation with a friend of over 40 years about people who have been pivotal in our lives. It was a fascinating experience and part of my inspiration for today because a pattern emerged in my memories. Many of the people in my life who I considered pivotal were people whom God used to get through to me to help me stay on the right path. When I was in college, I was very active in the Baptist Student Union, growing up in Texas, Southern Baptist. Uh, We called them BSUs. They're all over campuses around the country, mostly in the southern states where the denomination is the strongest. So after graduating, I was applied for a pilot program whereby I would intern at some BSU on a Texas campus, shirt-tailing the BSU director around doing things like leading Bible studies, um, plan student events or outreach activities, etc. Well, lucky me, I got sent to Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. And if you've ever been to Lubbock, you will understand why they say it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. (laughs) (laughs) While there, I was swept off my feet in my first serious relationship at the tender age of 21. After only a few months of dating, uh, he proposed to me in front of a busload of students, I might add. Swept away in the moment I said yes, and I was completely caught up in this romance. I didn't allow myself doubt. I didn't allow myself to think about it. I was just crazy, crazy in love. A few months later, my boss asked to see me 
And when I went into his office, he closed the door and very quickly said, you're not going to like what I have to say. And my eyes grew wider. But he got right to the point and told me that I would be making a big mistake in marrying this young man. He said I would outgrow him intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally. That we would be, in biblical terms, unequally yoked. That I deserved better. And rather than being upset at his words, I remember feeling a little bit relieved. I had not been listening to that still small voice. I hadn't let it in. I was deaf to it. God used my boss that day to reach me through him. A pivotal person he was. Bad decision avoided. Back on the right path. I'm reminded of Proverbs 12:15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. Maybe I should add this verse to my North Star constellation. Another example from my story dates back to the mid-1980s. I had just moved into San Francisco from uh, another place in California. I was getting through, well, I was suffering from the end of a long-term relationship. Um, I, I was about to lose my job. I worked for a government-funded organization that was losing that government funding. But the bright spot in all of this was I was a member of Old First Presbyterian Church in the city. But I really, at this time, needed a new job. That was the, the main thing. And I thought I wanted to go to work for the corporate sector because I thought that would just be a little bit better in terms of job security and whatnot. And I while I was at Texas Tech, I'd gotten a master's degree, but it was in an emerging field that I didn't think would be very attractive to the corporate se sector. It was called Human Development Family Studies. It's now its own discipline, but in those days, it was housed in the School of Home Economics. So I, typi so I, I technically have a master's degree in home economics. <laughs> so I can just see me with a corporate recruiter and saying, you know, if anybody pops a button around here, I'm your gal, you know? <laughs> so. Uh, so I thought, well, maybe I needed to go get an MBA. But I had to do leveling work in accounting and uh, in economics. And as my lovely husband will attest, those are not my strong suits. But I was really struggling. So one day at church, um, at the coffee hour, a good friend listened to me vent again about all my troubles, and particularly about the job situation. And he said, you know, maybe you don't need that other degree. He says, you remind me so much of a woman I know who loves her job. She's in an industry that I don't know that much about, uh, but you are so, you two are so alike in what I think your skill sets are and your personalities are. Maybe you should talk to her. And so he set it up for me, and I met this woman named Chris, and she was a consultant in an executive search firm, and I did not know what that was. She explained how the business worked. She explained her role in it. She explained what, how you could advance in, uh, in, in the business. And um, she was very encouraging. She also talked to, me, uh, talked to me about sort of packaging my skills and putting it in the jargon of her industry and that that would help me you know, probably have a good interview down the road. So I did and um, as it happened, when I got back to my apartment that same day, there were two voicemails 
from two executive search firms. They were asking to talk to me, and they had gotten my name from Chris. As it turned out, she had received calls from two firms that day, trying to get her to jump ship uh, and come to their firm, and she was not interested, but she gave them my name. And two weeks later, I had an entry-level position in executive recruiting, and I spent 30 years there, and I loved it, and I was good at it, and I just thank the Lord for it. But, you know, I think some people would say that's all a coincidence, perhaps dumb, dumb luck. But given how low and confused I was at the time, I will always believe it was divine intervention. I think it makes God sad when we struggle to find a path forward. I'm not suggesting that we will not be faced with challenges and tough decisions. Getting through such things like that makes us stronger and more resilient. But think about the times when you just could not see a path forward, could not see what you needed to do next. Even prayers when even your times when even your prayers came up empty. I think God used my fellow congregant to get me to help me find a better place another pivotal person for me. Perhaps some of you have seen the movie Shall We Dance with Susan Sarandon and Richard Gere. It's a charming movie. They're a married couple, seemingly happy, but Susan Sarandon becomes suspicious when her husband starts working late a lot. Suspecting that he might be having an affair, she hires a private detective to spy on him. The detective ultimately reveals that Richard Gere is taking ballroom dancing lessons and definitely not having an affair. In Susan Sarandon's last meeting with the detective, she tells him she, she tells him she no longer needs his services, and then the conversation turns to marriage. And Susan Sarandon says, "Why is it? Do you think people get married?" The detective answers, "Passion." She shakes her head. No? Interesting. I would have taken you for a romantic. So why do you think people get married? Susan, because we need a witness to our lives. There's a billion people on the planet. And I mean, what does any one life really mean? But in a marriage, you're promising to care about everything. The good things, the bad things, the terrible things, all of it, every day. You're saying your life will not go unnoticed because I will notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will be your witness. Being a witness to another's life doesn't just apply in marriages. The pivotal people in my life have been active witnesses of my life. We are active witnesses every Sunday in here when we talk about joys and concerns. I love that part of our worship, and it's the only church I've ever been in that does that. But back to Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Or, in my paraphrased Bible, since we have such a huge crowd, of people of faith watching us, let us strip off anything 
that slows us down or holds us back and run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. I believe as Christians, we are called to be witnesses of each other's lives, active, caring, courageous, and sometimes interveners, or sometimes just offering to make an introduction, in my case. Vessels through whom God can communicate perhaps a critical message to those we hold dear, to those who are struggling or who are about to make a bad decision. Because you never know when you might wind up being a pivotal person, a critical witness to help someone stay on the path to becoming the best, best version of themselves, the version that optimizes God's knowledge of them, God's pursuit of them, and God's determination to be a part of their life journey. May it be so.
You may be seated. We get to celebrate communion today, which is a, a great gift from Jesus Christ to us today in a time and place where it feels like there's so much argument, so much division. There is one thing that hundreds of millions of people around the world do and have done for thousands of years now, and that is take of the cup and of the bread. What a gift it is. You may celebrate it differently if you're in different places or different churches. We celebrate it here by singing songs. We celebrate it by sharing peace. When we uh, ha have time for you to come to the front, we invite you to come down the center aisle. I will be standing over by the baptismal font if you would like a time of uh, personal prayer. But come down the center, receive the elements, and return around the sides to your seats. But as Christ taught us, and as we are taught throughout the years to come to this table in peace, I ask you now to greet one another by sharing the peace of Christ with each other. So. Peace be with you. Oh, welcome. Yes, we met. We met at Blackie's Basket. Yes. <laughs> Friends, this is the joyful table. All are welcome. Whether you've grown up in a church and been taking communion weekly or monthly all your life, or this is your first time, Jesus offers this meal to you. Would you join me in beginning our prayer of thanksgiving as printed in the blue box on your bulletin? God be with you. No, Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to God. And now may we lift up our voices and sing. Friends, on the night of his arrest, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Do this, remembering me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Drink ye of it, remembering me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord until he comes again.
speaking of being a cloud of witnesses, I want to again extend my big thanks to you for being such a great witness today to us, Betty, and for the witness of this church. There is a lot going on, particularly if you like doing things. If you look at the announcements today, you'll see if you want to go and be a part of a solution somewhere, you can do that around the country in Kentucky. You can do that here in California. You can do that through riding your bike. You can do that through helping with disaster cleanup. There are a lot of ways to be a part of the solution. If I may, I want to extend a, a special welcome to a friend of mine, Ariel Lynn, who joined us here today. Uh, a friend of mine comes from, came from very far to get here, so we're glad that you're here worshiping with us, Ariel. Uh, also, I want to point out that there are diapers here. Carol, I remembered. Uh, their diapers here. We would love your diaper donations for people in the canal. You can drop them off really any time in the, in the lobby in the narthex of the church. You'll see that little wagon usually sit, uh, placed under the TV, but we would love your donation of those diapers to help us out. Oh, with that, let us join in our closing hymn, number 526. Would you please stand and sing with us? Now, as you go out today, I invite you to go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good and return no one, evil for evil. But strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, and help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace, now and always.